ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. On the other side of the mic is our guest, Sandy Carter, Chief Operating Officer of Unstoppable Domains. We're going to be discussing Sandy's experience, how she got to crypto, and the future for Web3 identity. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Well, Sandy, really appreciate you for coming on the show. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background and your role at the firm. Yeah, well, Frank, thank you for having me for sure. As you said, my name is Sandy Carter, and I am COO and Head of Business Development at Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains is a digital identity platform. And what we do is we create a digital identity that travels with you throughout the metaverse It provides a great way for you to simplify paying with crypto, setting up a website, creating your own Web3 and digital brand, and just so much more. I know we're going to dive into that in a minute. I also wanted to say that I have founded our Unstoppable Women of Web3 and the Metaverse as well, looking for equality for women and those of diverse backgrounds in this space too, which I think is equally as important. Mm -hmm. And walk us through a bit about Your background, right? So you held roles at IBM, at Amazon Web Services. So it'd be interesting to sort of get a sense of how you're bringing the Web 2 world, as it were, into Web 3. What does that look like from your seat? Well, first of all, IBM and Amazon Web Services are two phenomenal companies. So I learned so much there. So many best practices that I brought with me here, such as, you know, customer obsession, really not just thinking about the technology, but what does a customer need or want? A great example of that is we just brought .polygon into our community and I got a great idea from them to do some messaging work. So you can obviously bring some of those best practices and principles in. But the other really cool thing is that right now I'm seeing a lot of interest from Web2 companies looking to break into the space, but looking to do so with, um, what would I say, Web2 terminology, simplicity, you know, again, focus on business outcome, not the technology. So we just got out of a couple of conferences. And Frank, when I say I was inundated, I would say I was inundated. I have five RFPs right now open for Web2 companies wanting to do stuff with us. 
But again, do it in a simplified manner with actually not even mentioning crypto or Web3 or the metaverse, but just delivering the value and having the technology kind of under wraps, under the scenes, not being the prime star of the show. So what does it look like for those types of companies trying to wade into Web3? What exactly do they want to execute on? So in a lot of cases, it starts out with building your Web3 or Metaverse brand. Mm. So, you know, we have a digital identity. And so Mm -hmm. as part of that identity, what you do is you actually have like your linkage to your avatar. So you can brand yourself with your avatar. You have a linkage to your digital assets, or as we in the Web3 space call them, NFTs. So you can actually see what you're buying. We link in your website and badges that give you social networking capability. So that real power to bring people together. And so we find a lot of the companies that are coming in and Web2, in fact, when they see that digital profile, they'll say to me, ah, this is like a LinkedIn version for Web3. And it is, it kind of looks like that, except that your branding is very authentic. Because instead of based on what I write in, right, what I put in, what I think about and write on a piece of paper, it's really based on what I do, who I am in communities, what I've contributed to communities. So, you know, it could be my DAO votes or the fact that I have a sustainability badge that makes all of my NFTs carbon neutral. It's those kind of things that show up. And so I've had many people in Web2 companies say, wow, this is a very authentic version of your brand as you're looking at it. So that's where a lot of Web2 companies start with is how do I brand myself? How do I make sure it links back to my Web2 identity, but that it showcases who I am? And then I would say the second one that we're seeing is that a lot of Web2 companies are looking to forge ahead with loyalty through rewards. And I differentiate loyalty versus rewards, right? Loyalty is, you know, the fact that you're tried and true to a brand or a category. Rewards are how brands incentivize you, you know, for your time, for your money, for your passion. And so a lot of Web2 brands really know how to do this kind of reward system really well to reward their fans for loyalty. And many of them now want to try it with NFTs, and many of these notions in Web3. And why do they want to do that? Well, for example, um, we're working with one company who wants to reward loyalty of their fan base because they've been to their events. But it's really hard to figure out, like, who actually went to my event? You know, you've got a paper ticket typically or something through Ticketmaster, but I might have bought the ticket for my daughter. So how do you know that I went versus my daughter went? But in the Web3 world, you actually get an NFT. It is on the blockchain. So it's immutable, non-changeable. So actually, no, I have proof, if you would, of someone who went to that event. And a lot of these major Web2 companies are looking at that as a way to really transform or disrupt the reward system that has currently existed today. Did you see the news out of Ticketmaster that they're sort of rolling out token-gated sales And I think that's why they're doing it. I think they see other companies like Relic Tickets and others who are doing a whole NFT-based ticketing system and the power that that brings. I think they're 
I mean, I don't know them, so I haven't spoken with them, but that's what I believe is that those businesses are starting to disrupt. And as a company, you either be disrupted or you are the disruptor. And sometimes you have to disrupt yourself. And I think that's what they're working on right now. So what do you think is important or beneficial rather about NFT related ticketing? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One, you have a smart contract in the ticket. And so a lot of places are looking at how they do that contract so that secondary sales, the person who originally had the ticket gets a portion of that secondary sale. So, you know, today how it works, let's say I'm a big basketball fan. You know, we just had the NCAA Final Four championship Mm -hmm. game. I would buy that ticket. Let's say my team lost. Therefore, I might resell that ticket. Well, the person who sold it to me at the very beginning gets none of the secondary ticket sale, right? That all goes to me. But with an NFT, depending upon your smart contract, part of that secondary sale could go back to me as the initial buyer. You could also set limits in that smart contract if you wanted to. So let's say you bought a ticket for $100 and then you try to sell it for $1,000. Well, in that smart ticket, you could specify limits, right? Like I'll let this ticket go up to $500, but no more than $500. So there's a lot of really cool things you can do and execute on with that smart ticket. The other things that I see is I love the ability, again, to reward people for going to a show. For example, we're working with one music festival where they're experimenting with, you know, if you've gone to two events with them and you're getting ready to go to the third because you can prove it because you've got that NFT on chain, then what you're able to do is maybe get a VIP seat, a discount, maybe even a special t-shirt that says, you know, I've been here three times. And then on a personal level, collectibles, right? I don't know about you, but I have a big basket and I have all my concert tickets in there, right? I never really go back and look at them, but I never want to throw my concert tickets away. So, you know, I might have gone to see someone who, you know, no longer performs, but I still have their ticket. Well, now I don't have to keep that big basket. I can actually have it in my digital identity and use it as a part of what identifies me in that particular space. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess like for the skeptic or cynic, you know, technically if they have your email, you go to some conference or some music venue for the third time, couldn't they technically see that you had, you know, attended or or visited that venue by looking through their database or whatever? You know, I guess it depends upon how long you keep it for and also who's doing the purchasing, like who was that email for? So I will just tell you, when I worked for Amazon Web Services, we were looking to celebrate people who had been to all 10 years of reInvent, which was our big conference. It was so hard and Mm. so time-consuming to find out who had been to 10 years of those conferences. And some people we reached out to, and it happened to be a secretary of someone who had maybe orchestrated or put their email down because they didn't want their VP or their CEO getting all those emails coming in. So I guess, you know, there are lots of ways to do it. I find that this one is the smoothest and the most satisfactory to most companies today. It's just easy. And, you know, everybody's looking for easy today. How do you sort of see the developments that are shaping and underpinning Web3 interacting with, engaging with some of the other tech trends we see shaping the global economy, specifically artificial intelligence, which is becoming a hotter topic as each day goes by and a new 
image of His Holiness Pope Francis sort of <laughs> hits the web with him in some sort of vestments that make you laugh. Yeah, that puffer jacket. I thought it was real. Yeah. Well, here's what I think. I think that AI is a really hot topic. Some people say it's an overnight success, but it wasn't. You know, I was at IBM when we did Watson and Watson played Jeopardy. I mean, AI has been around for a long time. The chat GPT moment just opened it up to so many more consumers, I think, with the power of usage. I actually am very excited about AI to help Mm -hmm. the Web3 and the metaverse space. So for instance, even here at Unstoppable, we've now embedded ChatGPT in our search bar. Mm. So you can now search for smarter or sassier, whatever you want to use, ways that you can set up that digital identity. We've also just released AI avatars. So now you can use AI to create that avatar. You can make it look like you or the person you want to look like, and you can use that to create that avatar. I think that as this goes forward, that the meshing of this Web3 plus metaverse plus AI is going to be a powerful combination. I think eventually it's going to catapult in particular, the metaverse into mainstream. And I just see so many use cases, you know, like I just did a keynote at South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Every one of my graphics was produced by MidJourney, which is another AI tool that creates great pictures. I got coached by an AI tool called Poised. It coached me through how do I project? How do I talk? When do I pause? And so I think you're going to start to see AI be used as a supplement augmenting these other technologies as we go forward. So what does the metaverse look like with that in mind? So I think that the metaverse can now be more thoroughly optimized with artificial intelligence, content, Mm. even ease of use, you know, the way that you get into the metaverse. I love to tell a funny story. I was teaching for a university and I was doing it in the metaverse. They wanted me to teach a computer science class in the metaverse. And one of my colleagues wanted to come to my class. And so I was like, well, let me teach you how to create your avatar, how to get in, how to get into the class, how to sit down. He's like, no, 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 I gotcha. He ended up, you know, on the ceiling for the entire lecture. He couldn't get down from the ceiling. And so I'm already starting to see suggestions from artificial intelligence, suggesting ways to make things easier, to do the translation between language, you know, like porting, like you port from one metaverse to another. How can you simplify that? I'm also seeing better content come in as well into the metaverse. And then, of course, the avatars. The avatars now look more like you versus, you remember that first one that Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. had? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Didn't really look anything like him. I think they're now looking more like you. So I just see a lot of extra help, security even. There are a lot of coding AI tools now that are helping. However, as we do this, we do need to be cautious about that content that's coming in from AI. I was just reading some stuff last night and a friend of mine posted that her daughter got permission to use one of the AI tools for her upcoming paper. And so she Mm. asked questions and everything came out. It had actually pages of books and, you know, line number 12. So it looked really official. But when her daughter, who's very thorough, went in to check out those sources, the sources didn't exist. AI had created the source 
to make it look real, but it actually wasn't real. And they call that AI hallucination, where, you know, the way an AI engine works and machine learning works is it anticipates the next word. And so it was anticipating what would be the next question asked or how you would do it. And so it hallucinated a lot of these sources. So you've really got to be careful right now in particular, not to just use what comes straight out of GPT or any other AI tool as well as fact. Yeah, that's interesting. It kind of reminds me, you know, when I was in like high school or middle school and then obviously college as well, using Wikipedia was a no-no for your academic research. And I wonder if the students of the next few years will face a similar stigma with different AI sources where teachers might, you know, as a supplement, it could be useful, but maybe not as a tried and true resource. Yeah, there are some schools that have already come out and said, yes, we'll accept work that's been supplemented with AI. There are other schools that have come and said, no, you have to create your own. You can't use the tool at all. And then last night, my daughter shared some of this with her daughter's teacher and the principal. And so the principal was like, I mean, I think people are looking for guidance, like, you know, Mm. how do we address this in school systems today so that, you know, people aren't learning fake stuff? And, you know, hats off to my friend's daughter who actually Mm. went and looked at it because I got a picture of what she got and it looks real. Like, it's like, you know, this is the name of the book. This is the page. You know, this is the source. None of it was real. Really crazy. It is. So like, how do we sort of trust what the metaverse is? For me, the metaverse right now is not a single thing. It's almost like, you know, you can say the internet and you've got kind of a broad thing, but then you've got to go down and you say, if you say, can you trust the internet? You might actually then Mm. go down to a site, an intranet or an internet portion of that so that you say, do you trust this site? Do you trust this information? And I think the same thing is happening with the metaverse. I think there is this concept of the metaverse with a big M, and then Mm. there are these little M metaverses. And I think your trust then has to go into which of those metaverses are you in and what are you using? For example, you know, Upland is part of the OMA3 with us, the Open Metaverse Alliance. And they're doing Monopoly and it's a game. So, you know, can you trust a game? Yeah, I think so. Mm. There is no crypto involved in it. Although people are making money through that game as they announce each new city that comes on board. So I think you have to look at each source separately. So for example, I went and taught in a education metaverse and it's, you know, certified. It's got different colleges that back it. So that gives me more confidence in what's being taught in there is actually true. So I think just like today with the internet, you know, I think the metaverse is the next form of the internet. I think it's going to be the 3D form of it. Again, there won't be one thing. It'll be multiple things that you have to check out, just like you have to do today on the internet. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch as hand, it's fine. 
vinyl, right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com slash scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. How do you think it changes the global economy? and maybe brings new opportunities to developing regions of the world? Oh, I think it's very powerful for developing regions of the world. First of all, you know, the unbanked. I think that crypto brings a special ability to have a checking account, if you would, or a savings mm. account, if you would, in some of those parts of the world. I also see the ability of what's going on to open up doors. So for example, with the Unstoppable Women of Web3 and the Metaverse that I talked about, we just announced an initiative to train six and a half million women in Africa. And why did we decide to train in Africa? We did that because the numbers show that by 2035, there will be more tech skills in Africa than any other region of the world. So that's more than China, more than India, more of that tech skill will come from Africa. And so by using and leveraging many of the tools, you know, we'll have in-person classes, but we're also going to have classes in the metaverse. And the metaverse doesn't have to be these fancy glasses and everything too, right? The metaverse doesn't depend upon AR or VR, but it opens the doors for some of these people who before could not have gotten access to that material or to these teachers. It really opens the doors, I think, on education as well. And as you know, if you train women in economies, women impact GDP, 5X, you know, other impacts as well. So I would say that could be, you know, really, really interesting too. How do you see that program unfolding? What are some of the goals for it and expectations? Yeah, there's a couple of things that we see. So first, we partnered with the African Leadership Group. That's Fred Schrenkier. He is an amazing leader in Africa. He trains about 50,000 Africans, men and women, most right now in tech skill throughout Africa. So he's one of our partners. He has added into his curriculum Web3 and the metaverse so that people are aware of it. And he's also going to do a separate education section just for women as well and do a big focus there. We have folks like Dr. Anina, who runs the 100 Women of Davos. She's actually Nigerian. Mm. And so she has a group called the Business Network for Female CEOs. And uh, what we're doing there is we're going to do a class for the female CEOs so that they understand the impact of Web3 
metaverse and AI. We're going to do Web3, metaverse, and AI because we think those three are together. We're going to do that for those CEOs. We also partnered with Google Cloud. They are going to give us some video content for our education stream. So on our Unstoppable Wow 3 website, we have education streams for Web3, for Metaverse, for blockchain, for digital identity. And Google's going to provide some of that content that we can use. And then once you take a stream of education, you're going to get a NFT as your certificate that you pass that class that would be stored in your digital identity. So as we imagine digital identity in the future, Frank, I believe that your diploma, your certificates will all be Mm. in your digital identity because then it, again, is immutable. It's your education. It's certified. So someone can look at it and verify it. So just like today, you know, let's say you're taking a new job. You know, you have to have someone from the university send proof that you went to the university. It's all done by paper today, mostly manual. Mm. And so we envision that that would be done through NFTs, through that digital identity. And so that's how we're training and awarding, you know, the women who take this class through Unstoppable Women of Web3. Yeah, and I feel like that can empower them in terms of entering different areas of the workforce because you have that immutable proof that you have these skills. I wouldn't be surprised if the sort of proof that someone has to get a certain job or enter a certain program will be a digital wallet. I feel like that will happen sooner in Africa than it would here. I feel like we'll have our physical IDs in the United States, our physical diplomas for a decade longer than regions where they can kind of leapfrog because they don't have the existing infrastructure, which is similar to what we've seen in many different types of sectors, if you will, right? With with banking, right? Going directly to mobile in many yep. cases in Africa or the telecoms infrastructure leapfrogging over the sort of antiquated foundational infrastructure that we sort of have to, you know, navigate through. Yeah, you are so right. In fact, I was just talking with a couple of our partners in Africa. And, you know, because they just skipped right over, went straight to mobile, now everything they're doing in Web3 essentially is mobile too. So whether you're using, let's say, Opera, which is a Web3 browser, you know, it has to be on a mobile device. Even our education, we're gearing it so that you could use it and leverage it on a mobile device. And then I just read last night that, you know, Africa's been building this road system throughout mm. the continent for some time. And they're just getting ready to finish that. It's been like, a, I don't know, a 10, 12 year project, but they're just getting ready to finish that. And I think that the combination of the digital infrastructure as well as that physical infrastructure, will make them a powerhouse. There's still obviously lots of things to get through, like internet access, of course, but I do feel like that they're becoming set up to leapfrog many other nations and continents. And I think that's how they're going to be the leading STEM skill set in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are some other initiatives at the firm that you're excited about? So for me, one of the things I'm really excited about is the way that we are building out that digital identity, right? We are a digital identity platform. And so, you know, our CEO is very visionary and he's looking, you know, 10 years out. And so we are already starting to talk to, not execute on, but talk to, for example, healthcare companies. One of the things I'm very passionate about is how do we 
have a better healthcare system, not just here in the U.S., but throughout the world. And so, you know, one of our contributions that we're looking at, again, we have not executed on, but what if you could have in your digital identity, your healthcare information? Mm. I was just with a group of healthcare startups and they told me that 60% of misdiagnosis of illness is done because a doctor doesn't have all the information that she needs to make the right diagnosis. And so if we had that on our digital identity, how much more powerful that could be because we'll be able to show the doctor our whole self, right? From our allergies to our blood pressure to anything else in between. And that really makes a difference when you're diagnosing someone. And now put on top of that artificial intelligence with having access now you've got, you know, a whole new vision. I was just in Austin at South by Southwest, and I was invited by a pediatric surgeon, and they were doing a work session on redesigning what healthcare could look like in the metaverse. So, for example, he was saying, you know, in hospitals, they make changes, and they have no idea the implications that it's going to have on care. And so what if they could create a digital twin or that industrial metaverse to replicate that change before it was actually implemented and then figured out it was good or bad in the hospital? Or even being able to do healthcare through the metaverse. You know, I was at CES and one of the metaverse TVs, they called it a metaverse TV. You walk up to the TV and you put, you know, different devices on you and it read your blood pressure, your temperature, you know, everything about you. And it then would send you to a specialist. So what if that's the future of medicine is that we go first to a metaverse doctor who maybe triages for us and then sends us to a different place? I think the possibilities are really endless. So I think healthcare is one, again, that wouldn't just be us alone working on that, but us doing the digital identity piece. I also love the fact that we're working right now as well on land, deeds, and titles. So with the OMA3, the Open Metaverse Alliance, one of the things that they're trying to standardize in all of these little M metaverses is, you know, people are purchasing land and buildings, but they could purchase from this metaverse and then that metaverse. And no one's really looking at a consistent way of defining land, maybe with an XY axis. And so we've been working with them. We're on the working committee to try to define how do we designate land, kind of like we do today in the real world? How do we do that in the metaverse? And again, then store it in your digital identity. So I can imagine, you know, a section in my digital identity for my virtual ownership, like land or buildings that would be located there in my digital profile. And that could also be for in-person, right? The California DMV, which we all know is, you know, leadership in this space. The California DMV just is now experimenting with putting car titles as an NFT that would then be stored in your digital identity. So I see a lot of potential, you know, in this space as well. How do we keep it from becoming this like massive mess? How do you sift through all of this if it's healthcare, if it's ticketing, if it's your title and deed? What's the UX like of this digital identity that is so all-encompassing? For me, I think that obviously the user interface makes all the difference in the world. And if you could look at how we're designing it today, you, you would see it looks and it feels really simple. 
and it has categories and sorts and things that you can use and leverage. So I think that obviously as it gets bigger and broader, we'll have to continue to improve what we're looking at. But I think right now it's very simple. In fact, whenever I show a digital profile to a Web2 person, that's what really gets them interesting. They're like, wow, I really want something like that for my company, for my customers, you know, Mm. as we move forward. At the top of the show, you mentioned some of the requests that you have out there from potential clients. What are they looking to do exactly in Web3? A lot of them are looking for a way to reward their customers. That's a big part of it because Web3 has a Mm -hmm. very, you know, interactive way to do it. Some are looking for something very simple, which is a way to message. Mm. So if you're in this world, Frank, you know, there's Discord, there's Telegram, there's Signal, there's WhatsApp, there's email. I mean, there's just so Mm -hmm. many things to do. And many of them are also looking for a simple way to reach their authentic users. And so, you know, going through a digital identity, again, you have some proof or verification and being able to message them is really powerful. Message a certain group who have maybe certain NFTs or certain badges. So we find messaging is a very powerful outlet as well of what they're looking to do and replicate. And some are just looking to experiment in different things like co-create with their users and how they might build their next product, whatever that product happens to be. So their use cases are really wild and varied, but I would say they kind of fall into a camp of, you know, messaging, doing some sort of token gated something, doing rewards, many of those categories today. What do you think are some of the challenges in getting these companies to adopt Web3 and digital identity? I've been involved in a lot of new technologies when they just start Mm. out. And anytime a new technology just starts out, they are all about the technology, right? Mm -hmm. I was at Amazon with cloud, right? And all we talked about was cloud, 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 cloud. And then, of course, over time, as more people adopted it and it became more mature, we talked about more of the use cases. Like, what do you want to do with it? Like, what are you trying to solve and how can cloud solve that problem. I think we're going to move that way as well. In fact, Frank, I think if we did this interview in a year, you and I might not even say Web3, right? We might just be talking about some of the outcomes, having a reward system that's based on something that's solid and authentic. We might be using those words instead of Web3 and the metaverse or even AI, for example. I think the second one is just making it easy. If you've ever tried setting up a wallet and getting money from an exchange, it's hard. It's not easy. I taught a group of kids how to do that, and it took them no time at all, I would say. But Mm -hmm. then I was with a group of 50 of the top chief digital officers. Now, these people, Frank, are super smart, very technical, and it took them like two and a half hours. So Mm -hmm. imagine me explaining that to my dad or my mom. It's hard. And so I think to your point earlier, like, how do we make that easy? How do we make sure the user interface is there? I think those are things that we have to improve upon, that ease of use. Even the terminology, right? Like we call it an NFT, a non-fungible token. Like, why didn't we just call it a digital asset? Like something easy, or we say minting, 
what the hell is minting? Well, it's just mm-hmm. putting, you know, making ownership on the block. We just made it so hard, but that's typical when you're starting out with a new technology. So I think as we improve and we are mature, I think some of those things will have to be addressed. And then I think the third thing is standards. You know, we're starting to see that now. We're kind of championing a Web3 domain alliance to help with that digital identity. Upland and Sandbox are championing an open metaverse alliance to make sure we have standards across all those little M metaverses. And I think that's another good sign. Well, we'll have to uh, catch up in a year and see if the nomenclature has changed at all. Yeah, definitely. We should do that. We'll pencil it in right now. Yeah, fantastic. Sandy Carter, thanks so much for taking the time to join the show. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're working on? Unstoppable is unstoppabledomains.com. If you want to look us up online and get started with that digital identity, our Twitter handle is Unstoppable Web. So not Unstoppable Domains, but Unstoppable Web. If you want to reach out to me personally, my Twitter handle is Sandy underscore Carter, but I'm also on LinkedIn as Sandy Carter or Instagram as Sandy underscore Carter founder. And I'd love to have any questions or anything that you'd like to ask uh, sent to me. And Frank, thanks for having me on your show. No worries. Thanks so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.